Okay, and after literally 52 minutes of troubleshooting, <laughs> we are finally recording. Yes, we are. Welcome back to This Is Not A History Lecture with Kaylee and Kat. Kaylee and Kat. And Kat and Kaylee. Kaylee's our tech girl, and um, she just... Unwillingly. Well, she figured out how to fix our problems, <laughs> so I'm giving her all the credit I did in the fix world. the problem, but this is, this is what happens when you're poor and you have to rely on library equipment. But what can we do? <laughs> We are but poor grad students. <laughs> Can I Trying have some to run, more? Run a podcast. Run a... <laughs> May we have some more sponsorships, please? <laughs> Just one, please. Just one. <laughs> I beg of you. If, anyone, if you could have anyone sponsor us, who would it be? I would want it to be some really weird off-brand sort of thing that's like really history-specific and for no reason at all. Yeah, like maybe like one of your historical costuming. <laughs> That'd be fun. A company like, yeah. Cat would like that. They would send her stuff. Oh my God. I would kill. Well, that's the only way I'm ever, like there are some brands that are so cool and so good and so high quality that it's my dream to own their stuff, but it's like $300 for a pair of shoes and I just can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. So sponsor us. Yeah. Brands someone. Brands Cat's talking about. Yeah. Um, or HelloFresh. You know, I'll take what I can get. Mm. I've, I've been meaning to try something i want to try the imperfect foods oh yeah my roommate does that yeah, yeah. i feel like that'd be a good one and i'm i didn't know that they started shipping to our town and they uh-huh. do now so uh-huh. i'm uh-huh. thinking yeah. about trying it no that'd be a good option um yeah so <laughs> hopefully this records and Kat, it works yeah Kat and i've been sitting with each other for a while so i feel like kind of weird asking her how her day and her week was, was but how was your day and your week it was good i had work at the historic house today and it was busy. It was just tiring. Um, yeah, but today's someone, been a weird day. It has. But someone came through and she was like, oh, I wanted to show my granddaughters where my grandfather worked. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, my grandfather was the groundskeepers here. And like, they lived in this house. Oh. And I was like, oh, okay. And she had some really cool stories and some like really terrifying stories. But it was really cool. And my boss walked in and he goes, cat your hair. It's so long. And I realized that even though I worked for her for probably – it's not a full year, but it's been a hot minute. I've always had my hair up at work, either in like a Victorian hairstyle or something just to keep it out of my way. And today I have it poofed in the front. Oh, you're, y'all are going to hear my peas really strongly with air. I apologize. Um, <laughs> but yeah, she had, I only have my hair poofed in the front today. And um, if the rest is in a braid down my back and she was like, I had no clue your hair was that long. I have always pictured you with like medium length hair. And I was like, no, it's, it's down to the bottom of my, like it's towards the do- bottom of my spine. It does have very long hair and it stresses me out. I, long hair stresses me out in general. What? Even though I don't have long hair, it just looks <laughs> stressful. <laughs> I didn't know that. I've known well, you for a it long really, time. it really stems from one person in particular that we know had long hair and just like never maintained it or even <gasps> brushed it. Oh, well, yeah, okay. And like didn't get a haircut until her like to... boyfriend, now husband, like forced her. I not forced her, but like I used to like not take good care of my hair. I but I learned if you're gonna have hair this long, you you can't to. wash it every yeah. night. You can't like you there's certain like, yeah. products you can or can't use i can't apply heat unless it's absolutely necessary yeah yada yada but long long story short it was really funny to see my boss's reaction because usually you only see that reaction when like someone takes off their mask for the first time and you're like oh that's what you look like but for her it was oh my god that's how long your hair is <laughs> <laughs> want to know something funny when we had those two foster dogs yeah um <laughs> boomy and top yeah. yeah, I came down one night after Boomy had lived with us for, like, several months at this point, 
with glasses on and he barked at me he barked he said who the hell are you i've never seen you before in my life that's funny and i was like boomy it's me and he was like no no you've changed <laughs> i know you've changed well how was your week my week i actually haven't seen you this i know week it's because, because i got my days confused and i thought that class was gonna be online on thursday and it wasn't it was well, actually not. i didn't get my days confused the professor the just like didn't yeah. bother to tell everyone in the class so yeah. anyway um <laughs> <laughs> yeah we she sends everything through email instead of canvas so yeah but she didn't even email no of... she didn't even email this time oh really the emails also said I just class assumed, online i just assumed to show yeah. up and because another girl in the class like said the same thing yeah and we I were think. chatting about it like when we were in a breakout group and she was like yeah no like it says on the email and online because i did my due diligence i checked that morning or else i would have gone in for yeah. both classes but yeah, I was already there for our marketing class, so I just yeah, well, I would have tagged only, behind it's anyway. Only one class. Yeah, I don't bother going. <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah. we did have the plumber come, which oh my god, that was the highlight of the week. We had the plumber come, which was right in the middle of uh, marketing, so I'm really glad that I stayed home. Mm-hmm. Um, like literally, like marketing started at twelve thirty. He knocked on the door at twelve forty-five, and I was like, oh yeah, oh, thank god I'm home because my crappy landlords have not like bothered to unclog my drain that has been clogged since i moved in mm. so with like strangers hair <laughs> uh, i had to do that myself as well um well the thing is is you need like a plumber to get the cap off or like usually a maintenance man mm. and my drain or else i would have just like sucked it up and done it because let me tell you it's been a problem mm-hmm. and instead of like actually fixing it they just pretended like they couldn't and they couldn't get the cap off when really it was just my maintenance man like not being able to do his job sounds about right so when they actually sent a plumber out because our uh, faucets were leaking in our bathtubs i was like hey while you're up there yeah can you unclog my tub and let me tell let me tell y'all <laughs> it's so nice it's so nice to have not a bathtub that drains water around your ankles every time you take a bath and not like leave residue in your tub because nothing's draining right well, and to not have a bathroom that stinks because there's just something sitting in your pipes that's, that you that can't get to it's so nice oh that my is god really gross well like my apartment the ceiling's falling starting yeah. to crumble that's apartment that. also <laughs> Uh, this is why we can't afford to buy our own mics. <laughs> yeah. Um, they When they moved me into this apartment complex, there was mold all over the walls of the unit they tried to move me into. And I was like, um, I'm not going to live in this. And so they put me in another apartment that had not been cleaned or checked or nice. any of because they weren't planning on putting yep. anyone in it. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, I have to move in now. Can someone like, is there anyone on site who can help me with some of the? And they're like, uh, hmm. Uh, and they were like really reticent about it and I was like no this is disgusting like the the fixtures in the bathroom like the tub fixtures were so corroded that like you couldn't turn the handles and they replaced them with ones that they had in storage so they're still gross they're just not as gross and like the bathtub apparently they're supposed to like refinish them and they didn't so mine's cracking like my bathtub is cracking my sink has been chipping like the porcelain with that bad enamel version of porcelain is just yeah. falling apart so my apartment <sighs> is literally just falling yeah, apart yeah cat does have the i mean i have bad landlords but the building itself is fine cat has bad landlords 
and a bad building. Yeah. Like. <laughs> I nailed it. Two for two. <laughs> oh, no. Two for oh, two. Oh, man. Again, this is why we can't afford to buy our own mics. <laughs> Someone's um, someone's, <laughs> someone's sponsor. Hello, Fresh. I make it like. We'll advertise for you. We've seen this meals. <laughs> we need it. So bad. <laughs> Anyway, that's anyway. enough about our lives. Sorry if y'all sat around for all of that. Yeah. Um, We're ranting to each other like we don't know, get to like rant at any other time. Yeah, I know. We've said all these things to ourselves, but yeah. now we're saying them to you. Um, other than that, I had work today too. It was, um, it was work. Yeah. There was a few things I was doing. Oh my God. Yesterday was like one of the busiest days I've had all semester and I wanted to, Oof. I wanted to explode um <laughs> i had four meetings four zoom meetings back to back ew from nine to one ew and then i had to go drop my car off at the dealership to get serviced mm. and then i had an interview and then i had to go pick my car back up for the yes oh i'm glad i didn't know they scheduled the interview yeah they did i had to like follow up email with them because they uh. like send me an email it's a museum here and I won't say the name because it'll be really obvious. And um, <laughs> we, we can't dox ourselves yeah, that we're not trying quickly. Um, yeah. So they sent me the email and they were like, hey, we'd like to offer you an email or an, an interview. Would you pick from these times? And I was like, yeah, sure. Didn't hear from them. And like on the morning of the first set of times they provided, I mm-hmm. still hadn't heard from them. That's when you can email and be like, um, I was like, hi. hey, just wanted to follow up. But then I also like was like, oh, my availability has changed. Turns out I'm available from these times now. And so it was like kind of a, yeah. like a, hey, what are you doing? But also like, I actually need to provide you with this information. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So how my interview Friday, yesterday, I I never know how interviews go. Also, this is a no much more involved process than I thought it would. Yeah. It's a three-part process. Whoa, that is a lot. Internship. Oof. But one of the positions is part-time. You're going to have a three-part hiring process over an internship. That sucks. That's like more than that's more than our friends who are applying for jobs. Jobs. Yeah, it's like more do. than real jobs. They're really vetting you over there. I don't know what's going on, but I I, I, I hope know. it went well. I, I hope it went well. I'd like to think it went well. Yeah. Um. But you know, the museum world here is kind of like inbred. Yeah. People know too much about everyone. So it it just makes I don't know. I feel like it makes getting positions like this yeah. even though it's like an internship i just there's a lot of politics there's and, always something going on in the background I mean, yeah it's a it's a corporate I, people don't realize like museums are kind of corporate like oh, they yeah. are and they aren't they're like halfway in between but they run like a business because you know they need profit they're like microcosms within a bigger ecosystem it's really yeah. weird no museums do like eight different things and it's very yeah. interesting um anyway yeah so it's just it makes everything a little more political than you think it would be yeah. um especially because we are in such a small small place with yeah. only a handful of museums and people don't necessarily want to move all the time so it just makes it yeah. a little yeah it's political yeah. <laughs> um anyway yeah so i hope it went well it's kind of hard to judge if you do well on interviews because it's so subjective yeah and you can't always tell from your interviewer's reaction to you yeah and i i mean they were nice so i hope i hope yeah the girl They're from my program nice. was there yeah. and yeah <laughs> Um, I almost mentioned this podcast, but I was like, no, she's here. Cat <laughs> would literally kill me. The, oh, she, I think she knows. Oh, she knows? She knows. I wish you told me that because no, they, like, I can't remember. Question. I dropped it in a conversation one week. Oh, no, yeah. she doesn't. She doesn't. It's, okay. It's the other, it's her two friends that know. <laughs> okay. Because I was like. 
because they asked me like, oh, is there anything else you want to know? Like a fun fact. And I was like, I pulled out my random fun fact that I always use, which is like, I wiggle my eyes. Oh, which yeah. Which is not, just not, <laughs> I can't do that for our audience here. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was like not very professional. And I thought about it because I was like, oh, I have a podcast. I could talk about that. And I was like, no, Kat would literally murder me. So <laughs> I, I might will, because it's her. I and know. I know. Her. I know. So it's like, I can't. <laughs> yeah no I'm, I'm kind of glad she didn't i'm not sure if i'm ready for yeah. her to know yet i know it's it's so funny because like we're totally fine with some people knowing and, other people and others were like, like no terrifying. no one needs yeah. to know <laughs> oh my gosh anyway yeah so that's how my like week has been and then today's just been long and it is what it is um we've been talking for a long time yeah. oh one thing i wanted to mention before we started as y'all remember Last week, we said that we have 200 views. Yes. Today, we got 250. Wait. Re- really? Between this and the... Sorry, that was a really loud pop, guys. My yeah, bad. Fine. Um, In the last week, we In the got, last week, we've gotten 50 views. That's like 25% of our previous... Wait. Yeah. Yeah. 25? 20, uh, yeah. Uh, 25%. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Math. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what is happening, but for some reason, we are picking up the pace at an alarming rate yeah this is really cool thank you for listening to two girls rant about their week and then rant about weird history i know and like to have 200 episodes or 200 downloads in 10 episodes like not bad that's but to get 50 in one all of the sudden like oh my god thank you guys that makes me feel that's really cool so i wanted to shout that out and again all of our shout outs from last episode still stand Mm mm-hmm and um, that that fact will tide me over through all of finals, and it'll make me smile even in the midst <laughs> yeah. of the terrible presentation. Even I'm if we get Tuesday. like zero views next week, yeah, I'll feel better. It'll still be okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was looking at um, our like stats breakdown, and in all of March we got ninety seven downloads. All right, it's April seventeenth, seventeenth on the day we record this, and we have ooh, excuse me, we have like one hundred and three. So we've already Whoa. surpassed all of March and like half of April. You guys are the best. So that's Thank super you. cool. Thanks. Thanks to everyone who is involved in that. Yeah. We owe it to y'all really. Yeah. Like, and wow. what, well, I think what we owe them is us to stop talking and, and actually, <laughs> and talk, actually about history. talk about yeah. history. So without further ado, Lady Catherine, would you like to I would. regale us with a story? Thank you, Lady Celeste. Um, <laughs> it just sounds a little more... It does. Lady it sounds Catherine. a little more like... It's like you calling me Cat versus Catherine. Yeah, like Lady Kaylee. That's but I got a... two regal names. I got Catherine Elizabeth. You do. So... And what do I have? Kaylee Celeste. Callie Keleste. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Continue. <laughs> Tell me about Alan Turing. I told our professor about that, by the way. Just so you know. <laughs> Which professor? Middle class. Middle oh. Class. Okay. When I wasn't there? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Just, he was like, where is she? And I texted him. I was like, I don't know where Callier is. And he was like, what? <laughs> He's so confused. Anyway. Um, Maybe that's why my ears were ringing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So back to our actual scheduled programming. Today, I am going to discuss Alan Turing. Um, you may know him from a recent movie. He was portrayed by Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I think you mean benevolent cucumber to quote a 2014 Tumblr meme. Oh my god. (laughs) Anyway, I'm gonna get sued by like his. No, you're not. Everyone makes those jokes. (laughs) Anyway, um, yeah. Which I actually rewatched that movie last week, which was part of the reason I. Which movie? 
The Imitation Game. Oh, okay. I haven't seen that one. Although I know that what? you... I haven't seen it. Okay. Well, I, I have heard the next. film score because of you. Because Alexander Desplat is incredible. And it's honestly... That year, the Oscars were so... St- <laughs> Stop, Kaylee. Alexander Desplat was nominated for Imitation Game. And uh, I can't go into this right now. Okay. I can't. Let's focus okay. on our story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Can you tell it's been a long day for both of us? Yeah. <laughs> but if you haven't seen the Imitation Game, um, I would recommend it. It's as movies in Hollywood go, it's not 100% accurate, but I think it's actually a lot of really good acting. And Kira Knightley are period piece okay, queens well, in it. Okay, well, you should have said Kira Knightley first. <laughs> well, we'll watch it. She has some adorable outfits, by the way, Ugh. in that movie. And um, yeah, you could put Kira Knightley in a potato sack and she would look adorable. Right? So, I right? mean, yeah. Rainy. Anyway. Yes. So Alan Turing um, was born in London, England on June 23rd, 1912. So growing up, his parents actually, his father was some sort of um, blue collar worker and he kind of traveled around a little bit and his mom ended up going to join her father in India for a good chunk of his childhood. So he actually ended up staying with friends of the family for his early life. Um, And he did well in school. But I think there's a trend that we see sometimes in really intelligent people who are, might be not following the general progression of the public education system, yeah. how they're not eccentric. They're, they do well in their classes. They just think differently. So they're always kind of off in their own world. You mean he's a GT kid? Hey, I was a GT kid. Just I was a that. GT kid. Okay, good. <laughs> I thought you were insulting me. And I was like, Kaylee, no. My mom's going to call me and she's going to be like, yeah, that checks out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, he he was reported by his teachers and everything to be kind of off in his own world. And some of them didn't, you know, he was just average to them. But he fell in love with chess and debate. He was an exceptional athlete. Apparently, like, so good that he was athlete? almost up there. Really? Yeah. He was up there with, like, you Olympic athletes. You know, my guy's also, like, surprisingly athletic. That kind of. shock me. Well, Alan Turing, apparently, he would, like, bike like over 50 miles Good to school him. sometimes i need i need to pick that up <sighs> don't talk to me about up. being fit um <laughs> but yeah he he didn't work well necessarily with standardized curriculum but he was good at all these different things he won prizes for math competitions at his school it's one of those things where you really it's like me in math i can't pass math but hand me like literature and yeah 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 um so he finally made a friend who was kind of like-minded and, and had a great influence on his life named Christopher Morcom, who he started sharing his research and his passion with, and he was very, very close to him. It wasn't clear if they were together or dating or anything, or if they were just really good friends, but unfortunately, Christopher died in 1930, and it was devastating to Turing, understandably, oh, when yeah, your well, they best were like, friend what, dies. 18? Yeah, they were... Wow. Yeah, he would have been... Yeah, it, 1912 right 1912 yeah 18 wow so yeah um huge blow just to his friendships and to finally find someone who you're like-minded with and yeah yeah. Yeah. but he did a lot of his own outside research so he was reading like advanced theory and stuff by the time he graduated high school it just wasn't part of the curriculum Mm -hmm. um and by 1931 he goes to cambridge to study mathematics and he graduates in 1934 with a degree then he gets a fellowship at King's College for to study. I'm sorry, guys. This is a mathematics-centered <laughs> person, and it's going to be a mess. But he was studying probability theory. And the paper 
the papers and stuff that he's working on the research he gets to these conclusions he's finding new reasoning and it's being backed by other scientists it's really interesting though because some of his research he's coming to these conclusions independent of other people and then reaching that same conclusion if that makes sense okay yeah, so he's no, kind of like sense. developing his own systems of yeah. thought mm-hmm. to match but other people are backing him up too which is i i mean it's how you're supposed to contribute to your field in academia so it's yeah nice. yeah um but these systems that he's creating would later lay a foundation for the science of computing and computing's not necessarily a computer. Like, humans used to be called computers. Yeah. Like, yeah. it was your job to compute Computing information. Mm-hmm. So, in 1936, he heads to Princeton to study for his PhD in mathematic logic under a man who was also doing research in his field. And it takes him two years to get a doctorate. <laughs> Come again? <laughs> everything i if i knew it was only gonna take me two years to get a doctorate i would have done it oh my god yeah i could not write a dissertation in two years i couldn't do anything in two years (laughs) oh my god very smart big brain good for him (laughs) yeah so again i'm not a math person i'm gonna botch this description but i'm going to explain it to you best i can he's Working in the same field as a bunch of these people who are looking for universal rules that will allow humans to compute equations in a standardized way, almost. But Turing and his mentor, um, Church, also, they, like, actually disprove this hope that there's going to be these universal systems to do it. Along their way, though, Alan Turing lays out his findings and starts messing with the idea of the Turing machine. And he invents it, and it helps compute things more quickly than people would. And this is what would later become the first version of a digital computer. Nice. Yeah. Good for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. These people are so much smarter than me. <laughs> Again, well, which is why I'll never make it into history books. <laughs> <laughs> Mood. Mood. But this machine, in theory, could figure out anything a human could. So it's also part of the reason that Turing is considered one of the founders of artificial intelligence is because oh, I've thing, never heard that. Yeah. This thing in, I mean, there's a lot of founding principles of yeah. AI, so we can't attribute it to one person, but this machine almost worked like he, like in a system that was reflective of how humans come to reason to things. Huh? Um, I found Maybe this will help some of y'all. I was on newscientist.com actively trying to figure out how this machine worked so I could explain it. And You're such a good researcher. <laughs> well, newscientist.com. I'm, I'm crediting their website because they had one that I kind of understood, but I'm going to, I don't want to plagiarize. And it says, quote, this is their description. Turing attacked the problem by imagining a machine within an infinitely long tape. The tape is covered with symbols that feed instructions to the machine, telling it how to manipulate other symbols. End quote. So it is kind of like how human beings reason through things. It postulates kind of the idea that things can't just be solved by algorithm, and there's limits on what machines and humans can actually do. So this isn't just proven in his Turing machine invention. He goes on to do research in this paper um, called on computable numbers, which essentially suggests software. Oh, 
it's it's of course an Again, incredibly I, I, ver- early version. Yeah, but still, to like that's to, such in a the thirties to be talking about yeah. the concepts of software and I mean, just, I still can't get, like the internet. Like, yeah. what is that? Like, yeah. <laughs> it's essentially like a machine. What a machine can decide to do on that's its own. That's so crazy. It's it's crazy, crazy, and it's like yeah. Like when you say, "Oh, who invented this?" You don't always think of the people who came before and you know had the origins of these plans like the theories for it they couldn't put it in practice because technology limited them but they had these ideas like the typewriter wasn't really introduced into the late 1800s yeah but the first ever like theory for it was actually by an italian printer in like 1570 or something wow crazy early and he was like a um a print shop he owned a print shop or something Uh and he was like how could i write faster in a yeah. uniform way. Humans are so smart. Right? And it's just sad that, like, the concepts of technology limit us sometimes early on. Yeah. But Turing, as you'll see later, starts to develop to develop some of those technologies to accomplish this. Mm-hmm. Um, but he leaves the U.S. He, he's at Princeton. He leaves the U.S. for King's College in 1938 for his fellowship. He finds himself in the government code and cipher school. War is starting, and... He restations the organization to Buckinghamshire, which is where um, the, the it's kind of where the imitation game takes off the movie. It's where a lot of people start to focus. Mm-hmm. If you're not paying attention to his mathematics and like technical accomplishments, this mm-hmm. is where the story gets a little more dramatic. Gotcha. Um, okay. Yeah. A little yeah. more Hollywood. He's this is where he's like starting to contribute to the war and everything. That very heroic. Yeah. yeah. It's it doesn't feel as dry for the non math people. It's the yeah. heroic, yeah. you know, I'm gonna join They're the like, war. Who the hell wants to hear about math? <laughs> people want to hear about the war. <laughs> it's the same people who thank you for tuning in. Um it's the same people who are like, oh, history? Ew. What? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not trashing math people. Listen, 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 listen. We're not trashing math people. We both have history degrees. We can't say anything. If anything, I'm jealous. (laughs) I'm so jealous. The job security? Oh, my God. My sister went to a huge huge school, like our state's biggest school um, for mathematics her first year. She got, like, a great scholarship. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Shove it down my throat. (sighs) Um, Siblings. I'm the weirdo middle child. It's fine. I'm used to it. I know. I saw your TikTok about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was a good one. (laughs) So there are these Polish code breakers and cryptanalysts who have been working on breaking something called the Enigma machine, which is a German invention that basically scrambles this code and passes the information to other Enigma machines. Um, it's almost like a weird walkie-talkie, but it's like it looks like a typewriter almost. It churns them out huh. on paper. Is that like what the picture of the cover is for the movie? That's that's the machine Christopher that he, I think Turing okay. develops yeah. as like in the movie. Sorry, that's, that's like not relevant to... information. No, no, no. It, it it's cool. It it looks like a typewriter. Like the typewriter on my counter right now. If you like blocked that out and like the surface wasn't keys as much, it it's cool. Okay, Go look it yeah. up. Um, but you can only receive the decoded message if you have an Enigma machine. So it, it's kind of like an early form of, I don't know what's comparable. Um, but yeah, they knew that if they could break these codes, they'd have a lot of the secret German information that's being passed back and forth. And the Polish team, led by Marian Rajewski, I think that's how you would pronounce it. 
um, had been able to puzzle out the inner workings of the machine. Like, they'd gone inside and been like, okay, this is how okay, it's... Okay, you said it, and then you also said Enigma. So, like... What? You know that episode of Spongebob? When Patrick's no. like, the inner mechanisms of my mind are an enigma. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's... I've been, I've been resisting, and I will resist no longer. <laughs> I have to quote Spongebob. I, I, <laughs> I didn't even catch that one. Thank you for catching it. It deserved to be acknowledged. Oh, it's a great line. <laughs> that was good. Yeah. Um, so they've started to like figure out how to code break it and everything. And the Germans changed how they use Enigma, basically. And the Polish machine for it isn't working anymore. So Turing and his team, along with the mathematician W.G. Welchman, start to develop their own but different machine. And in 1942, they're able to intercept German messages on Enigma and decode them. It's 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 weird. It's like you have to have your own code to descramble the code. Huh. And the Germans were changing it often enough that mm. like you you had to be privy to their information. So they're trying to gotcha. figure out the machine, yeah. not just the code. Yeah. Code code breaking. Yeah, all that cool stuff. Um for a hot second there though, Turing goes to America to help with the decoding there and helping the allies develop their own kind of secrecy scrambling system before he heads back to Bletchley Park in 43, where they're working on these machines. And it's then in Bletchley Park that he helps develop with this office who's working on the Enigma machines. He helps develop a device that scrambles information and he named it Delilah. Delilah. I was waiting for a plain white tea song right there. No, 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 no. Uh, no, I know. I was Do you just know Delilah, the radio broadcaster? No. Wait, no, I thought... I think she's I think she's national, but if you know Sunday ninety nine point one in Houston, then you know Delilah. Anyway, okay, yeah, <laughs> but we could also do uh, Hey There Delilah, but I'm not trying to get copyrighted. Right. <laughs> um, the decoding massively aids the U boat and submarine excursions for the Allies. It's probably I mean it helps all across the war front, but it really gave everyone a leg up in the in the water, and they're churning intelligence out so fast that it's ridiculous and. Turing's contribution is so big and so significant that they make him into an officer of the most excellent order of the British Empire. It sounds bougie. Wow, the most excellent order. <laughs> yeah. And if his machines sound like they're matching human capabilities to process this information and maybe even going above that, it's because this is the origin of those ideas. Like, this is really where our ideas of artificial intelligence kind of... like. It's been postulated before, but he's developing technology yeah, for the first insane. time that's doing it. Wow. Yeah. And some people speculate that his efforts may have saved more soldiers than anything else in this war. Wow. Which, that's a huge weight to carry. Um, the decoding machines themselves weren't really computers. They were just processing the information. But his other works are really starting to take on those characteristics of a working digital computer. And when the war is finally over, he's brought on to the National Physical Laboratory, and he develops the automatic computing machine, but which is, is more what we're, we think of with the concept of a computer, but his mm-hmm. co-workers and, and the engineers there, are they just think it's a little too ambitious, it's too complex for them to try and make, and so they create a, like, a, a hybrid kind of version with some of his ideas, and they delay his original plan. Um, but I honestly think that if Turing, if they had... Like I said, the technology can push back the ideas of a theory because you can't apply it. But I would think if they had tried Turing's design, my bet is that he would have. We would have had a lot more sophisticated computers early on because we would have jumped into the deep end. Like yeah. 
apparently I know it had a higher like memory base. Whoa. Like it 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 had early early stuff, and it makes you wonder like if we got this technology yeah, rolling ten years earlier, yeah, where would we be? Yeah, that's crazy. Prevented, especially with like how fast technology moves. Yeah, who well, knows where we would have been? It now. is crazy for us. I am. I'm 23, turning 24 this year. Kaylee is 23. 22. 22, 20. sorry, turning 23. Yes. So we grew up on the cusp of, like, Yeah. I grew up with a landline, and you called your friend, like, I, I think there's probably still a landline in that house, um, <laughs> but, like, the, the plugged-into-the-wall landline. Yeah. And you My called your friend, one, yeah. and if it was busy, it was busy. Like, that's yeah. just how it worked. And then within 10 years, the iPhone, Wi-Fi, I remember being in middle school and the one kid in our band program got a phone and we were all in awe of it. And now I'm carrying around a phone with infinitely more capacity than like a spaceship had. Yeah. And to me, that's crazy. I know. And then you think about like, they got to the moon with, with physical numbers with Catherine Johnson. And, uh, what is her name? Harriet? Um, I don't know. I'm not, she wrote part of the code, but it's, yeah, it's crazy rocket science, but (laughs) I know it's insane. It makes and, me wonder if uh, where we would be. If it's so frustrating that the next guy is gonna do it is gonna be I know. the worst guy in the whole world. <laughs> oh, you're talking about? <laughs> I thought you were talking about theoreticals. Yes. No, I'm talking about Elon Musk. <laughs> you're Fuck a Houston guy. girl. Yeah, you're 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 more of a space like space person than I am. I don't have. A whole yeah, lot of I listen. To it. I am not a fan of privatizing space. It's. It's it like privatizing the national parks. It's space. That and is a, a it's little. It's so iffy. frustrating that the first person on Mars is probably going to be. And of course, they're working with NASA, but it, that doesn't mean anything. Corporations work with the government all so the you time, know and they so still privatize. I have a whole thing. I am very. You should if, do an episode on that. You should do an episode on like the history of the evolution of space travel. That would be cool. Write it like, down, Kaylee. Write it like down. The, the, <laughs> There's like this Tim Curry gif when he's like trying not to laugh. Oh, and he's yes. like, I'm going to the only place that hasn't been corrupted by capitalism. Space! But <laughs> Except alas, we're not even going to have that soon. That is really sad, actually. Yeah, exactly. So that's why I have my opinions. Yeah, that we I should have. do an episode. Write it down. Write it down. Uh, I would accept my keyboard will go clack, clack, clack. <laughs> oh, that's that's fair. We'll wait. We'll remember it. Let me get on my phone. We have it on the recording. Yeah, put it on your phone. My phone. Yes, my phone. Yes. Okay. My little so, computer. <laughs> it really is, which is crazy to think. They used to just be calling devices, and now they are computers in and of themselves. But I digress. The National Physical Laboratory is where he is working, and they're the ones that kind of hesitate and balk at developing Turing's designs completely. And the NPL starts following behind other developers, and Turing is like, yeah, no, this isn't okay. I want to work for the best of the best. I, and I mean, he is the best of the best, really. So he goes to uh, Manchester to the Computing Machine Laboratory as their deputy director. And these are the people who are pulling ahead. They're at the forefront. They're doing stuff that NPL wasn't willing to try yet. And it's there with the Computing Machine Laboratory in Manchester that he utilizes what was originally some of the Enigma technology and creates a programming system. Uh, It's the first, it was used, that his programming system was the used in the first electronic and digital computer, which became available in 1951. Wow. That's earlier than I thought. I thought, I mean, I know they like took off in the seventies. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not, not a computer. what we know that. Yeah. yeah it's not it's like not a computer. your visual screen computers and stuff like yeah. that. It's, it's like a machine who does the function yes. with yes. electricity. Yes. Kind of. 
That's a terrible way of explaining it. But if you look these up, you'll understand what I mean. It, it's not a screen that you can read and stuff. It's it's kind of like, it's, it's interesting. It's like watching hidden figures when they talk about bringing the computer yeah. in. Mm-hmm. And it takes up a whole room a whole and it room. doesn't look anything like a computer. Yeah, yeah. It's, it doesn't look electronic. It doesn't look yeah. anything. It, so yeah, it looks like a dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, his this earliest digital computer conceptually is a computer. It's just not what we see computers as now. Um, so Turing is in very high regard at this point. He becomes a fellow of the Royal Society of London by 1951, but unfortunately, Victorian societal standards still exist. And in 1952, he's charged with indecency, which is being gay in britain let me tell you those victorians back at it again they really they were i'm not they saying were that freaks they i'm were, not they were so freaky they, they were, were into freaks. some weird stuff they were so weird and they had the audacity to turn the world against like lgbt yeah. people yeah and like and, and not not to say that people weren't like homophobic and stuff before then but they oh, right. definitely amplified it well it's crazy to me because it's like you can't be doing all that stuff behind your own closed doors and be in like, you know what trying it is? to present this front to the rest of yeah, society it's, it's projecting oh it's, yeah oh i know i'm a freak but i'm just gonna be <laughs> mad at other people that i perceive as being weird and that's like, on toxic misogyny and purity culture Oh, I probably shouldn't say that. I'm going to get a lot of people really mad at me for that. Um, no, purity culture has its issues. Okay. I, grew I, up I, a, I will stand by that. Okay. Yeah, I grew up uh, in a, a situation where toxic purity culture has permanently damaged some of my um. I think a lot mentality. of people who grew up in that situation would agree yeah. to that. Um, anyway. So, Bobby. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, that's that's what sharing for the day. Um, <laughs> yeah, the Victorians definitely suck. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the sad thing is that Turing is being blackmailed by someone, and he went to the police about it, expecting help. And instead, they find out he's gay and put him on trial. Oh. Don't you love that? Yeah. You, you can't even trust mm-hmm. cops if you're, like, you know, a World War II veteran who well, like, saved all these people. And- his main defense, rightfully so... Uh, completely correctly was that there's nothing wrong with it and they're all like yes yes there is and basically they give him an ultimatum they tell him that you can choose the punishment of prison or a year of hormone therapy which at this time period hormone therapy is chemical castration oh my god it's yeah yeah. we're in the 50s yeah this This is is, like medieval stuff mm -hmm. this is not like a like conversion therapy is awful like yeah, therapy but this, is like, awful, medical but this conversion. is like permanent Ugh. damage. Like yeah, and since he's now charged with a crime, he can't really work in a government office. Oh my god! And he he continues working at Manchester for a for a while. Um, he's exploring the ideas of artificial life. He's doing this research. He's he's basically doing research that likens the function of a human brain to a computer, and he's. Like, he's studying neuroscience stuff for yeah. this. He's um, he's talking about how a computer can learn if, like, the brain huh. teaches itself which yeah, algorithms work. Yeah, this is, work. like, AI. It's AI. It's Whoa. really early AI. Um, but on June 7th, 1954, he's found dead in his home in mm. Wilmslow, Manchester. The official cause of death was cyanide. Mm-hmm. And the coroner claimed it as suicide oh some people like his mother argue that 
it was accidental. He was, he had his own lab in his house and he yeah. could have inhaled fumes. He could have done yeah. other, he could have done something on accident. There was apparently something about a half-eaten apple next to him. I don't know huh. if they tested the apple for cyanide they or probably what happened. They knowing it was the 50s. <laughs> yeah, I, I have no clue. <laughs> it was like that John Mulaney bit. <laughs> this is puddle of blood. Mop it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but his coworkers and friends all said that the, her- the hormone therapy was whack, but he had finished it almost a full year before, I think. And he didn't seem to them wow. to be un- particularly unhealthy or depressed or anything that would wow. have driven him to do that. Yeah. The wide claim is suicide. Um, the w- generally accepted one is. That's what the coroner said. Yeah. But, I mean, and that's what the movie says, too. Yeah. Uh, that's what the movie produces. Well, my first thought is poison. That's exactly it. Some theorists think that the government didn't like how much he knew about the yeah. crypto... Like, crypto analytics and all that stuff so about, they just got rid of them yeah which like thinking about how much the government could have been worried about someone part of the lgbtq plus community being in their offices yeah. or maybe it was just some radical who really hated him for what he did like there yeah, are so or many... like some rival tech person yeah. or something that was my first thought more so than the government but the government i guess makes the most sense yeah. because it's the government but <laughs> yeah well in either way it's it's really sad that like you have to consider that stuff but he's since then he's been pardoned for his crimes quote crimes it is not a crime it should never have been a crime no. um but he received posthumous apologies that only does so much though yeah what are you gonna do um the british prime minister and the queen have both spoken on the issue but it wasn't until the 90s that the government released all the stuff that happened during the war and people realized how much Turing did for the oh. effort. So for a long time, Yeah, so people... for a long time, it was, oh, it's just that tech guy. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the Turing Award has apparently been one of the highest honors in the industry since, like, wow. the 60s. So people knew his contributions to math. Yeah. But this, like, realized story of this man who contributed so much and then got hate-crimed, basically. Yep. Um... It's really only been prominent. The narrative of that has only been prominent since the 90s. And again, guys, like we talk about historiography, like that's a great example of yeah. radically different historiography. Yeah, from and how just a reclusive like, uncovering person. of information can mm-hmm. change how we perceive historical events. Yeah. yeah. So um, that unfortunately is where his story ends. There's been a lot of apologies, a lot of um, attempts to, you know, he's got some fantastic books about him that I found while I was doing my research and I really want to read. Um, the movie, if you like World War II films that aren't just about the war, I really enjoyed this film partially for that reason. So I'd recommend it. And that is the quick and easy one episode recap on the life of Alan Turing. Well, I think that was really interesting. Good Thank job, Kat. And I know when we do stuff about fields that we're, like, not familiar I with, I know it's real weird. I had to turn off the, like, I usually, I always work with sound in the background. Yeah, and you I had like, like focus. I had, like, Stranger Things on in the background, and I was like, I have to turn this off. I've seen it five million times, but yeah, I have to turn it I off. Know. <laughs> so oh I hope gosh. I didn't do any massive disservices to the mathematics community through my explanation explanations, and I apologize if I did, so. I mean... I can't speak for the math community, but I think you did a great job. If you understood job. it, that was my goal. Yes, our goal is an understanding, not yeah, not understanding. I think it's Einstein who said like a real, a, like the real genius is in someone who can like explain it to a layperson. Basically, yeah. he said something about how like it's pointless for you to understand it. The you only really know your topic, and it's only worth knowing if you can teach it to other yeah, people. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. 
So yeah, Kaylee, you are up. I'm doing everyone's favorite asshole philosopher. A Socrates. Now, <laughs> Kat and I and every other person who's been in the program we were in in college has an interesting relationship with Socrates, and we all have opinions on him. Uh, because I think it's just, a universal Just because they point. forced us to read him when we so were, much. like, our minds were still forming. I can't, you expect <laughs> me to understand Socrates at 18? Are you kidding? Also, <laughs> reading the Phaedrus was so much more interesting than I just, we read, we read so much Socrates. Yeah. So much. I and why I've chosen, chosen to, like burden myself with this well i told cat i was like listen we can't always do the fun interesting ones we're gonna have to do the ones that we just know way too much about and today i'm putting that burden on my shoulders and doing socrates i applaud you for yeah. doing socrates i never would have because like okay well there's stuff i didn't know about him that we just like never learned because in the program we were in and we focused on his writing well he never wrote anything but his, his influence yeah his philosophy. philosophy and his rhetoric and stuff but we never learned about his life really we kind of did. Yeah, we only know about we only really learned about his life through the influences of Plato. Yeah, and writing Socrates' ideas. Yeah, which um, that is actually a big problem when you study Socrates. They actually call it the Socr- Socratic dilemma mm-hmm. because he never wrote anything down himself. We have Lazy. no primary documents <laughs> from Socrates. I mean, so, this man wears shoes, thinking... so like he yeah. definitely didn't write things down. I think um, of him as like the hippie on the beach. Who just like sits there and he's like, no, no, bro, no, no, guess no, 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 no. what? No, 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 no. The hippie on the beach is much more palatable than Socrates has ever <laughs> been. Socrates is like the guy who picks fights constantly about everything. The frat boy who and that's write literally was down. his. That literally was his philosophy: is just to make people. He really he just, just picked, He just on. went around and picked fights all day. Like, <laughs> Hit it, girl! I'm ready yeah. for this man. It's okay. an energy. I'm... Yes. Uh, yeah so i mean i had to do socrates because he sets up a lot of other people that i want to talk about eventually some that are more fun than he is um (laughs) but yeah so socrates and this is oh my god y'all this is uh bce so before the common era which means we got backwards time Uh. which means when i was doing the notes and i forgot that we had backwards time i was like (laughs) why is this not making sense (laughs) i was like uh, and then I did the math on how old he was when he died, like, twice. And I'm still not convinced it's right, even though I know he died when he was 70. Anyway, so he lived from 469 to 399 BCE. And he was a – he was an Athenian. An Athenian. He loved the city more than anything, like, in the world. And he would eventually die for it. He would have lived in California. Would he? I think Socrates would have hated California. Oh no, but he's got that energy of like Californians all love California. Yeah, well, maybe more like Texas. Oh, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) And picking fights. There you go. Picking fights. Loving a state, picking his fights. (laughs) Uh, But the philosophy part does not match Texas. No. (laughs) We can only rag on Texas because we live here. Yeah, no one else is allowed to. Yeah. Um,. Yeah, so just to set up some context, um, because this was kind of a significant point in Athenian history um, when Socrates was living, because this was the um, Athens was in its golden age during um, some decades when Socrates was active. So the golden age of Athens is widely accepted to be from 449 to 431. 
this age describes the period of peace between the Persian and Peloponnesian Wars and is a largely is largely attributed to the rule of Pericles. Um, and Pericles was a great general, an orator, and a patron of the arts. And he was the leader of this thing called the Delian League. Delian? Delian? I don't know. Um, that Athens and its allies formed following the end of the Persian War. Um, with kind of, I guess, I guess Athens, like, at the helm. I don't know. Politics in, like, ancient Greece. Like, yeah. they, like, only kind of talked to each other. They didn't really like each other. But we still, like, group them into one country. It's very yeah. interesting. I'm not a classics person. Um, <laughs> I am a history person, so this well, is a little easier. Like, but classics, classics are a whole different thing. Was I absolutely obsessed with the Greek gods? Yes. Do I know oh, yeah. a thing actually about Athens or Sparta? Absolutely no. not. <laughs> Absolutely Other than not. Sparta was pretty good for women. Yeah, I, I, better than most places, yeah. I think. Um, we'll probably do an episode on Sparta. But anyway, um, so they moved the treasury of this Delian League from the city of Delios, Delios um, to Athens. And this is when Athens really took off because now Pericles kind of had access to this big bank bank account Mm -hmm. that he used to develop Athens and we get some of the most iconic things that come from ancient Greece out of this period so in the 440s and 430s uh, Pericles commissioned um, specifically great building projects uh, and from this building this kind of wave of increased architecture and everything we get the Acropolis the Temple of Athena the Erechtheum and the Parthenon. So basically this every... This is all happening in these few years? Yeah, in 20 years, all of these oh, were built. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I didn't realize that it was that fast. <laughs> yeah, I know. And so, like, all of it, the one... The only one I wasn't, like, familiar with was the Erechtheum. And if you Google it, it's, like, another iconic... Um, I'm looking. And another iconic, like, Greek ruin okay. building. I'm looking. I'm not ignoring you. No, you're good. Um, Yeah, so, like, it's... It, like, it's an iconic period, and... Um, Athenian history and in Greek history and it wasn't just these great architectural like building projects. Pericles also was very into making sure that the city was better for everyone. He did things like subsidized theater admission for the poor so they could appreciate the arts as well as the rich people. Yeah, I was like, whoa. <laughs> sounds, I was like, whoa. I would want to live in Athens. I could I could swing this. Yeah. <laughs> um, he also encouraged participation in civic responsibilities, which were pretty big for Athenians because they were very much about serving your city. Um, and he offered payment for those, so payment for things like jury duty and things like that. Uh, yeah, and then, so, when you have leadership that is very bought into these ideas, you're, the people just kind of naturally follow. Mm-hmm. You have that, if the art is being supported, then the people are going to make more art. You know, they're, <laughs> like, yeah. more architects are going to design, like, really cool-looking columns for these buildings that are still standing today. So, it's it makes sense why this culture would kind of benefited from that. And also, you know, a time of peace between two major wars is pretty much going to cause that kind of progress too because people are finally like oh thank god yeah so this is basically the, the athens that socrates lives in for his like main active years of course his life kind of expands past this but when he's like really hitting his stride so is athens and uh, i mentioned we we talked about it before but one thing you really have to understand before uh, like literally doing anything with socrates is that socrates never 
ever wrote anything down. We have no surviving documents that were written by Socrates Which is weird, at because all. for someone with an ego as big as him, you would think he would want to make sure that his ideas <laughs> yeah. stuck around. No, no, no. He, he had a huge ego, don't get me wrong, but he also understood, he wasn't really about right. making a legacy. He was about improving the lives of the people around him and the city around him. So he was kind of like, I don't need this to last. I just want to talk to people. Um, and, you know, he had students and stuff, so his legacy, like, lives on through them, but... Anyway, so mm-hmm. uh, basically everything we know about Socrates comes from Plato. And Plato was one of his students, and he is another giant name in f- philosophical history. Um, and he is the eventual teacher of Aristotle. And so, Aristotle taught Alexander the Great, right? Alexander the Great, yeah. And I just remember it as spa. 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 <laughs> um, actually, um, according to what I'm about to say in a couple minutes here, it should be aspa. <laughs> oh. oh, Because yeah. there's another person before that taught Socrates, apparently. Although we don't know much about it, except Socrates just saying, like, yes, I was taught by this person. Mm. Um, so besides Plato, Plato is our most, like, well-sourced and probably most reliable source, even though it is coming from a person who did admire Plato. So it was probably slanted in that he just appreciated Plato and didn't really say a lot of bad things for him. But like all of the Socratic dialogues, all like the Republic that is by Socrates, like it's all written down by Plato. Oh yeah. 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 And so it kind of does leave room for the question of how much of this is actually Socratic philosophy and how much of this is Platonic philosophy right i will say that i think it's pretty reliable because just of how much plato appreciated socrates and probably wouldn't want to like you wouldn't want to mix his own like ideas. talk over yeah. or do something like that but you never know really it just it, it just really supplemented for the his own ideas yeah exactly thrown and i don't i don't really agree with that let me toss something else in but we also have um besides plato there are literally three other sources that tell us about socrates life like contemporary sources mm. one of them is another student um of his that was kind of a student with Plato by the name of Xenophon. Xenophon. Um, and the other one was the famous playwright Aristophanes, um, who writes the play The Clouds about mm. Socrates, who is the main character. Um, although he like never specifically says it. It's very obviously that. Socrates. Um, <laughs> I mean, who Aristophanes else is that random play, guy fighting everyone? Uh, yeah, those? exactly. Aristophanes' plays, like, <laughs> if you ever just want, like, other than Greek god stuff, if you ever just want to get a glimpse of Greek culture, go read one of Aristophanes' <laughs> plays because they are off the wall. Um, so, yeah. So, and apparently Xenophon was not a great source. He kind of hated Socrates or didn't like him a lot. So, like, he was, like, very negative towards him. But that's good because then, then you get a mix of Plato yeah. who really liked him and then Yeah, and then Aristophanes is obviously, like, a comic playwright. So, you know, what you're getting It's like taking Shakespeare as a word of law. Yeah, exactly. So, um, Socrates is the son of Sophronicus and Sophroniscus, who was a stonemason and sculptor, and Ferinete, who was a midwife. Um, And I'm so sorry, I do not speak Greek. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Kaylee, why don't you speak Greek? Gosh. I know I should have learned Greek for this episode. I'm a bad podcast host. Um, there I took is... it for like a whole semester, so I couldn't get it like any of it under my tongue. <laughs> Very little is known about his early life because, again, he wrote nothing down. What we do know about his early life is stuff that he like happened to mention when he was like doing one of his questioning sessions. Um, That's P. 
piss people off. So. Yeah, we can kind of go from how children in the culture uh, were raised at the time. So he probably would have gotten the basic Greek education that all boys would have gotten. And he probably would have been trained in his father's trade. So stone masonry. So he probably would have some like practical skills. And apparently after spending some time as a sculptor, he would go on to study under the ma- master Archelius, who taught him things such as, such as astronomy, math, and uh, the work of other philosophers, other Greek philosophers. And this is where I t- stopped to have the pederasty talk. I was going to ask if you were going to have to talk about that. So, yes. I was wanting to avoid it, but I think it's... There's no avoiding it when you talk about these philosophers. So in ancient Greek culture, there's something called pederasty, which is basically the kind of... Not adoption, but kind of... It's kind of like an an apprenticeship. It's an apprenticeship. Yeah, Yeah, an exchange of favors, but like a tit-for-tat kind of apprenticeship. Yeah. um, Where older men usually teachers philosophers mathematicians someone who had some sort of like academic skill would take on young boys and have them be like sexual servants yeah i guess you could say yeah that's probably the most delicate way to yes um and in exchange for teaching them then they would offer these favors to their teachers and it's grooming it's, by modern standards. Well, no, it's not grooming. It's pedophilia <laughs> oh, by yeah, modern standards yeah. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, they're actually doing it. But because grooming is just like that's grooming no, someone you, to, yeah, yeah, for yeah, it yeah. to be done. But like, so by modern standards, yes, it is pedophilia. And no, I'm not excusing and saying that, oh, it's back then. It's fine. However, this was part of the culture and children, young boys were kind of exposed. Life expectancy is different, too. Yeah. Which is not a reason. These boys couldn't make their own decisions on this, really. They were not able to make educated, mature decisions on this. So they are very much victims in this situation. Yeah, and they were... Don't get me wrong. They were definitely victims. Yeah. However, this this has been a part of Greek culture for a hundred years by the time Socrates comes around. Was it really that old? Yeah. So it's not... So it's something that's very much embedded in their culture. Does it make it okay? No. No. Absolutely not. But, but it it's something happen. that it's something that happened, and you just kind of have to accept that and like get, get over it when you're looking at some of these. It's one of those things people. Where you, we use it. I mean, you can use it in the context, modern context now, to know what to look for. Yeah, like mm-hmm. that's where I, I don't know where my brain script from skipped from pedophilia to grooming, but I like in the modern context that's what i think of to look for because of this stuff mm-hmm. like if you see anyone getting all close and with their teacher yeah like that's yeah. where my brain goes but like yeah this very much was so like we said we're not excusing it we're not saying not it's okay all. but we are saying it did we, happen it did happen and it was part of their culture and there's something we can do about it and like it's not still part of our culture it, no it's no. it's not anything that yeah. can be changed now it ended it's yes. over it happened yeah. though and we want to acknowledge that. it happened and we wanted to acknowledge it and there's a lot of nuance there and just like there is with a lot of things in history and one of my professors said to our class at one point like you have to look like look at history like it's a foreign country yeah like you don't know any of their customs anything basically almost like in an alien world like yeah you don't know any of their customs anything all you know is that you come from these people yeah um and you can't you can you can't judge from 21st century view 
Like, you can't, that, you can't. That's so old. It's not like slavery where we're still needing yeah. to make changes to our society because of it and we have to talk about it yeah. because it was it's, it's still a lasting issue. This one's yes. dead, done, and gone. Yes. Pederasty does yeah. not exist anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's pedophilia uh-huh. now, so. Yeah. Um, so, it, it, yeah, it, like I said, there's a lot of nuance there. It's a weird topic to talk about, consensual or not anyway y'all get y'all get what i mean it's a weird it's a weird thing but i yeah. think it's important to mention especially because we're going to be talking about ancient greece probably a lot well, that, and this and was part of the culture it'll help you understand the relationship between plato and socrates too and knowing that plato wrote socrates's stuff yeah. as his student like yeah i don't know i don't if know if it was that pre- pederast relationship i don't know if they were but i know i it, chances are socrates was someone pe- someone's pederast yeah um but yeah that, that tells you kind of the it influences their writing and relationship even if they yes. weren't directly having yeah. that relationship with each other that was culturally at the time you were like yeah. you were very devoted to your teacher very like whether it was sexual or not like plato wouldn't be writing smear campaigns about socrates yes yeah um yeah so <laughs> mentioning that aside that's a very like topic to cover and i try to do it justice but there's really no justice to be done to it that's one of those things where sometimes you gotta do your own reading on that one too because yeah it's, make your own decisions just know that it's a thing that happened we are not offering i mean we're saying that it's pedophilia but it we're not gonna draw our moral conclusions on these people i kind of have a little more i i still am on the edge of just because conception, it's kind of like, you know, the 40-year-old man marrying the 15-year-old girl. Yeah. It's it's something that happened. Well, no, like, I'm not saying that they're all trash people yeah. for doing this. Like, it doesn't mean it was okay. But like we no, said, it... No, it, yeah, it's, 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 it's tricky. It's tricky. It's a morally gray area. Yes, very morally gray. Do I think they're great people for having I don't think Socrates is a with... great guy anyway. <laughs> oh, absolutely not. Hell. But, I mean, it wasn't just Socrates. Anyway, it's very complicated, and it's something that is... It needs to be mentioned. Yeah. Just Go because read on of it. the world. Make your own choices. Yeah. Make your own decisions. choices. I'm just trying to be delicate. Um, and I don't think it's working. But <laughs> um, like we said, we're going to have different opinions and we're going to discuss topics yeah. in the show that you might not have even know existed before this discussion. Yeah. But, which is why I wanted to bring it up because not a lot of people know that that was a thing and that it happened and it did. It's an influence uh, it was a thing. in his story too. Though. Yes. Like it, it mm-hmm. influences life. So. so anyway, so he had this teacher who he probably was a pederast for. And um, in addition to this teacher, he was also taught by a very famous Greek woman by the name of Aspasia. I think that's how you pronounce her name. Hmm. Um, who was actually Pericles' consort and who was a philosopher and would teach Socrates philosophy. And apparently is his like first love of philosophy was taught by this woman named Aspasia. I love this So, obviously, I wrote her down, and I will be doing her. Yes, (laughs) please. Fear not. Um, Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. My stomach is being ridiculous. (laughs) If I had to be a book trope, but, like, a history trope, I think it would be female consorts who are kicking ass way more than their husbands. It's, like, wives, yeah, but the consorts who don't get given full credit. Yeah, and that's a whole other thing, like... There's a whole other thing about women's positions in Greek society yeah. and how women would often opt to be like high-end 
sex workers over mm-hmm. being a wife because the wives were just not given access Their to property anything like yeah. they were literally kept in the house yeah whereas like these sex workers were allowed to do were allowed to learn things about philosophy and mm-hmm. astronomy and allowed to like have conversation mm-hmm. so like there's a whole word for them i think it was hetaira hetaira Something like that. I don't know, but that would be a really cool other episode too. That so that's works. just very fascinating how Greek culture works. Yeah, and you know, it's it's a different it's a different world. It really is, and so it's cool we have to talk about things like this just to understand how their society. I function. just love that trope though, like the female concert who knows way more than anyone gives her credit for, and she's low key running things from behind the scenes. That's yes, a, that's a great one. Yeah, and along with his other philosophy teaching, Socrates was apparently also inter- invested in the works of the philosopher Anax. Anaxagoras, hmm. um, though he probably was never a student of this man. I do think that he was alive while Socrates was a young boy, but oh. I don't think they really knew each other. So Athenian law required that all able-bodied men serve in the military and be um, available for duty from the ages of 18 to 60, which is <laughs> 60. I would not want a That's... 60-year-old on the battlefield. Yeah, I, well, <laughs> I think that I never took a war strategy class, but I feel like um, they were kind of put in a specific position in the battlefield that's probably true of their age and, yeah yeah so um so because of this socrates was a member of the greek military apparently he was a member of the infantry the people who walked <laughs> um, i that almost forgot that true. word um, and he was deployed in several battles of the Pel- peloponnesian war at least three of we know of and he actually was a very capable soldier he was described as hmm. having a lot of fortitude and fearlessness and he also apparently saved the life of well-liked athenian general oh god alcibiades in the battle of delium during the peloponnesian war hmm. Uh, at some point, he marries a woman by the name of Xanthippe, who would have three of his sons. And by his own words, he is not a very attentive father. He actively chose instead to develop the minds of literally other, every other young boy in Athens, except his own literal children. You know what? That checks out. That checks oh, out. Oh, it, to- it totally does. Um, <laughs> So very little is known about his wife, although apparently we do know that she was not happy about his choice to neglect his kids. As one warranted. Is when you um, out on your kids. And she also was not in, into him being a philosopher because philosophers didn't make a lot of money unless you were a sophist, which I will talk about the sophists a little bit more later. So when not in battle, Socrates spent his time educating the youth of Athens. According to both he and Plato, he did not accept money from his students, but according to Aristophanes and Xenophon, he did. Mm. So it's kind of, I've, I've heard it this way where he didn't accept money, but he did accept payments in the form of like a meal gifts or, or yeah. like letting me stay in your house for a night yeah um so it's like was payment but it wasn't like monetary payment so it's a, it's you know uh, I, I mean i guess it's i guess it makes sense yeah um so i mean he had he to survive was, somehow so somewhere yeah, he was exactly. getting some sort of funding or yeah. supplies so he was very popular apparently well he had a following with the youth and they looked up to him and his kind of a, his pretty unorthodox teachings um, and unfortunately, this popularity with the youth of Athens would be the thing that would play a significant role in his eventual um, being put to death. Da, 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 da. So um, in 406, he's appointed to a council of 500 men that oversaw the daily functions of the city of Athens. In this role, he just did like kind of 
normal things voting mm-hmm. on like municipality type of issues um he apparently something significant to come out of that was that he showed mercy to several men who had abandoned their duty during the peloponnesian war that's uh, not so a good had, look like, like vacated i think he was like the deciding vote and whether or not to like oh. execute them and uh, he decided oh. not to execute them okay so I, it's interesting guy <laughs> um and in year 404, the Peloponnesian War comes to an end, and the city is overthrown by a group called the 30 Tyrants. This um, reign of these dictators lasts for about eight months, and then the Athenian de- dem- democratic system is reestablished later in 404, so not a long-lived like little episode there, but it was characterized by a lot of bloodshed, unnecessary Ooh. random bloodshed, and a lot of like property theft. That's- so. <laughs> Like um, a little tail end. Bloodshed. Property Property theft. theft. I know. Other articles kind of said it that way, too. And I was like, okay, I'm going to say it that way. <laughs> um, and so here's the thing about the reinstatement of the Athenian democratic system. Socrates does not like democracy. He, he, he does not. <laughs> he believed that people were not capable of self-rule because an individual is not capable of truly being virtuous. And he defines virtue as being wise mm. because he kind of thought of, oh, if you know everything, then you know then how to you, make these good choices. You would, you would make every good choice and you would never make a bad choice. Yeah. Um, I do remember that part. <laughs> yes. Um, and he thought that uh, uh, Athens could not rule themselves because they were not able to always make these good choices and would not be the best choices for the city. Mm-hmm. And he, remember, this guy loves Athens more than anything. So he's just... A little cray-cray. Yeah. So he's really, like, looking out for his home, basically. And this really, this idea that they weren't capable of self-rule, like, really was just opposite of what Athens thought at the time. Because yeah. they just developed democracy. They were all this into giving idea. everyone a voice and a vote. And they were like, no, we can all do this. We can participate. I mean, I think Athens is really, I mean the only direct democracy that we've kind of seen that lasted for a while. I mean, not everyone got a vote. You had to be a citizen and you had to be a man and they had like very strict rules, but it was one person, one vote. Yeah. Which is different than (laughs) the United States is. Thanks electoral college. (laughs) What do you mean? We don't have a true democracy, Kaylee. Anyway. um, (laughs) (laughs) um, So, but on the flip side, Athens doesn't really love Socrates Uh, for most of his life. It's adult life. Socrates was kind of dismissed as an annoying oddball, but he was pretty harmless. He just yeah. would come to your party or whatever and, like, harass you and then ask for a drink. Um, I mean, and I'm really thinking of, like, that one guy who shows up at the party, gets really drunk, tries to start a fight, <laughs> and then, like, gets so... He's so tipsy that he tries to throw a punch and he just falls on the floor. I mean, yeah, but he had a little more. T- yeah, yeah, he had a little more tact than that. Yeah, and if you're not familiar with how Socrates approached philosophy, he never said anything. He just talked he to just, in circles until yeah. you disproved yourself. Yeah, he would ask. He would come to your party or whatever and ask you a question like, "What is justice?" And then he would pick holes in your argument until he either you arrived at. The point he wanted you to arrive at mm-hmm. or at a non-point. And you kind of realize that you were wrong and you were misguided in your justice thing. Yeah. Um, and I think it was more so the second thing that happened a lot, which it's makes Socratic dialogues just infuriating to read. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Because it's like people arguing and not getting anywhere, but it's also like written in like, and so the blah, blah, blah. And then he went to blah, blah, blah. And, and thou shalt not lie. <laughs> like all this. That. That, the reading the Republic was not a high. Okay, the Republic wasn't wasn't as bad as the dialogues. I didn't think. I would agree with that. The but Republic it still was not so fun. Socrates. The Republic is, uh, if you don't know, it's a book Plato where he wrote. Plato yeah. wrote, where Socrates is deciding his like perfect utopian city, and each chapter covers like a different part of the city. And the allegory of the cave, if you know anything about the allegory of the cave. That is a chapter in the book, mm-hmm. which I actually really like the allegory of the I cave. I do, too. It it's, like, the one sense. thing that I'm, like, okay, yeah, it's this is cool. It's not long. Go read, go read it if yeah. you Yeah, and, and The Republic is more, um, like, traditional novel. It's not just two guys banding. Yeah, it's not two guys talking in circles. It's, like, actually, it's, like, you read it like a book. It's, it, better, it's, it's still, better than the dialogues. It's yeah. Just, it's, it's a lot sometimes. It's still written, like, ancient Greek people <laughs> talk. Really so, like, of course, you know it's hard to read but it's much easier to read yeah. than other things so um and also this his method of questioning is where we do get the socratic di- or dialogue and mm-hmm. the socratic seminar from which yeah. of course if you've been to high school in america you know exactly what a socratic seminar is <laughs> and you walked into the classroom in the morning and, <laughs> and hopefully no one was annoying as socrates actually was but i'm sure there was that one student that you really oh, wanted I'm, to punch I'm, in the face i'm, by I'm the sure that someone had a socrates in at least one of their classrooms <laughs> oh my god yeah so no god wasn't me was I Socrates? I've never had a Socratic dialogue or seminar with you, Kat, so I can't I can't say whether or not. Oh God, I hope it wasn't me. I hope it wasn't me. I really hope it wasn't. I really me. talk too much, so I, I know. don't know. We have a podcast. We have a podcast. Daily. We talk <laughs> way too much. <laughs> okay, so uh, yeah, so this kind of oddball perception of him is again depicted in the cl- in the play The Clouds by Aristophanes, um, and it just kind of shows him as this goofy oddball but harmless. Um, and he doesn't really help this case. He doesn't mind that he's seen as, like, kind of a weird guy. I mean, he never bathed. Apparently, he just ran around barefoot. He, like, always was, like, kind of weird. Like, the descriptions of him are, like, he's kind of ugly. Like, like he was kind of short, had, like, bulging eyes and all this kind of stuff. So, like, he kind of embraced it, which I appreciate. Um <laughs> It, it and is a he vibe. like he fully knew vibe. he fully knew he was being an asshole. He committed, and he did it for a reason because he wanted people to like really question themselves and like take those things into consideration. But that doesn't mean that people didn't think that he was kind of a dick. He said, "Go bigger, um, go home." Yeah, and <laughs> I don't think that Socrates cared about how people perceived him. Oh, not as long all. as they were willing to talk about it, talk to him. Yeah. That he didn't mind. As long as he could get invited to a party and go wreck it. He didn't yeah, and apparently care. he had, like, friends, too. So, like, like what, he was fine. Heck, bro? I know. <laughs> They're like, who's this guy? I like him. <laughs> so, um, unfortunately, this kind of public opinion begins to turn when former students of his were responsible for two coups on of the Athenian government. The first one was actually the 30 tyrants um, period of eight months. So apparently some of his students were involved in the 30 of the people that took over. Um, and n- neither of these attempts involved Socrates in their planning, mm-hmm. had anything to do with Socrates. Like, he literally like the minds of the youth. Yeah, it was just his old students, and he had taught them not to like democracy, and so they mm-hmm. didn't like democracy. And um, the only kind of connection he had with one of these attempts was during the reign of 30 tyrants. As I mentioned, there was a lot of like unnecessary bloodshed. So these 
dictators called Socrates and three other men. They were summoned and they were told to go kill this guy named Leon, who was apparently like this really upstanding citizen. He had like Ooh. done nothing to deserve death. And That's they just were like, look. go kill him. Uh-oh. Um, I get like big French Revolution vibes. Yeah. Not uh, French Rev, but like Robespierre. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like... Socrates, because Socrates, I mean, uh, after all, he did have a very strong moral code. Yeah, and he was outspoken dick, about it. But he he would not have killed someone just to kill someone. Yeah, and that's what he says. He's like, I'm not gonna do this. Yeah. <laughs> like he had his morals and he stuck to them because that's what was important to him. However, he he failed to tell Leon that there's this group of guys coming to kill you. Because the other three went and did it. Murder by omission, <laughs> basically. Murder by so, omission. That's kind of like one thing that's like used against him in his trial later. Uh, even though after the thirty, the third, wait, what? The thirty tyrants mm. um, period ended, and the Athenian government was reformed. They did decide not to punish anyone for what they were responsible for during this time, it's which oddly is nice of them. Uh, oddly nice because if. These guys were just calling random groups of people up and telling them to go kill someone. I know. Then who knows what was happening, you know? Yeah. So he never faced, like, charges for that, even though I don't think there's really grounds to be charged for that. Mm. But it's just an interesting little little yeah. story. Um, and there, there was a second attempt to overthrow the Athenian government, which was in 401, and that is what ultimately prompted his arrest in 399. And... Uh, when he was arrested, he was charged for impiety and corrupting the youth, which <laughs> we wanted to put that on our t-shirts. We so bad wanted to put it on the t-shirt, but it just didn't work. <sighs> Except until this freshman took my idea and made these ugly t-shirts. With yeah, it. that was a weird, gross color. I didn't. It want was to get a it in that weird, color. like pea soup yellow color, and I was like, I would buy this t-shirt, but that is an awful color. color. It was like comfort color too, so it was like it was, it was yeah. like thirty-five bucks, and I was like, no, it was expensive, and it was not a good color. Anyway. Um, again, I, I did design a shirt and it was better than that. But anyway, (laughs) um, I just don't have the drive that some of these freshmen do. Mm. Um, so they're young. They have energy. Yeah. Well, I was a freshman when I made it to you. I just always been dated. Um, (laughs) so how that kind of begs the question of how exactly he was corrupting youth. So like I've said several times, Socrates was in love with Athens and he loved what it could be and what it, what he thought it stood for. However, he was beginning to fear that Athens was beginning to turn sour. He already didn't like the democratic form of government. He didn't believe that the people could rule themselves over a long period of time. And that's ultimately what he wanted was for Athens to live on. Um, Then there was also also these people called the Sophists. And the Sophist kind of mentality has been corrupting Athens for a while now, according to Socrates. And Mm. he just saw this as something bad. And the sophists were basically like mass marketing rhetorics. So they literally would teach you anything you wanted to know as long as you paid the money. And this would be things like, oh, you're on trial. We'll teach you how to argue. Like for your life, we'll teach you how to argue out of it. Yeah. Which is like not a bad thing, but they're not teaching people right from wrong. They're teaching them how to argue. And a lot of sophists would say like, I can win an argument even though I'm technically wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. If I can argue well enough. So there were instances of people who committed a crime arguing their way out of it. Mm -hmm. So not necessarily like facing punishment from the crime they committed. So there's like, they're just not, (laughs) kind of reminds me of like 
equal opportunity like capitalism <laughs> like we're just gonna mass market rhetoric and we don't really care who gets a hold of it yeah. and so that means there's a lot of not great people who know how to speak really well and that's influencing athenian politics and the mm. people and everything too so it's just and of course you know socrates doesn't like this and he's being outspoken against these sophists so mm-hmm. They already don't like him. So this is like what he's corrupting the youth with. He's he's saying, hey, we don't like democracy. Hey, we don't like this new form of rhetoric that's taking over. Hey, we don't like that's all that stuff. And apparently it led to two uh, attempted rebellions, one that succeeded for a little bit, which I had never heard of a bit uh, before. So it was interesting. Hmm. And the other charge was piety. And as we know, the Greek gods, uh, they were still doing the are still worshiping the Greek Parthenon. And Socrates did not like the Greek gods. He believed in the Greek philosophy. However, he did not think that they should turn to the gods for any real decisions either because he saw the gods just as flawed as humans. And they were not the true, like, form of the gods. And when you talk about, like, the Socratic or the Platonic form of something, like, true, good, or beautiful, like, capital T, true, capital mm-hmm. G, good, capital B, B, beautiful, it's, like, the most pure mm-hmm. form of that uh, thing that it can be right so the fact that the greek gods were kind of all like chaotic and indecisive and off uh, like off like operated just like humans did meant that they weren't like this capital g true form of god which is actually really interesting because it kind of turns into this like pseudo christian yeah that like very... omniscient yeah presence even though it was nothing like the christian god don't get me wrong but he would refer to capital g god instead of gods like the greek did yeah so that's um, very yeah so he got in trouble yeah he got in trouble for teaching this too because um apparently at the time greek officials were the only ones allowed to kind of decide when and why and how and where they accepted new gods into their um religion i'm gonna say or into their practice Mm -hmm. And Socrates was going around telling all these kids, like, hey, no, like, these gods suck. (laughs) (laughs) There should be one true god, capital G god. Mm. Um, And again, that's not the Christian god. It's just a... It's just an omniscient being. An an omniscient god, yeah. Um, So that's kind of another thing that landed him in prison. And these two charges together would eventually be, like, what leads him to death. And Socrates was not one to, like, back down. He was not going to beg and plead. He was not going to make deals. He wasn't going to do anything. He was going to accept his fate because that's what he believed was right. And I think there's a quote from him that says, like, I'd rather suffer injustice than do it. So Mm -hmm. he knew this was wrong and he knew he was being put to death for a wrong reason. But he would rather stand up for what he believed in than, you know, say, oh, I'm not going to do this anymore. Okay, I'll stop teaching the kids. Like, I'll I'll stop educating the youth. So, I mean... Say what you will about the guy. He very he very much had a moral code and he, he stuck to it. Um, and <laughs> at one point during the trial process, there's a whole like book called The Trial and Death of Socrates, if you want to go read it, that kind of account the whole trial process. And um, at one point he said that he should actually be thanked for his services to 
to Athens. And of course people like didn't like that. <laughs> and actually I was, I was watching some uh, one YouTube video on this and it's, they were like, yeah. Um, so actually more people voted to <laughs> voted to put him to death than voted to charge him no. with something to begin with. No. So like he actually, he actively turned people against this him. Is when it doesn't help to be that guy at the party that pisses everyone off. I was because like, shut your, your mouth, child, dude. You just pissed everyone shut, off more. Shut up, Socrates. So he was sentenced to death. Uh, with a vote of 281 to 220. So not oh, no. like a landslide, but a pretty significant majority there. If you gain anti-supporters, though, that's just <laughs> really sad. I know. Um, oh, no. So he actually was offered the chance to escape. His wealthy friend, Credo, showed up to him one night and was like, I have everything paid for, and I have, like, I would pay for every, every expense the escape would take. I would pay for um, you to live in out... Uh, What's it called? To be an outcast? Outcast. What's... Like, not excommunicated. Exiled? Exiled. For you to, like, live in exile or, mm-hmm. like, you know, away from everyone. Like, I will cover... That's, like, a wealthy friend of his. Yeah. And he, like, comes into it. Like, you need to leave now. So, basically, he was being offered... You can go sit around and think all expenses paid yeah. and just do what you like to do. Yeah. And Socrates said no. Probably because he was like, I can't attend my parties and piss people off anymore if I do that. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it was very much like his morals. Yeah, like, no, I, I was kidding. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, Socrates, so who knows? But, um, but like, he was like, no, I accepted this fate, and this is the one I'm going to take and what I'm going to, like, follow through with. And, I mean, there's an element of admiration, I guess, you can have for that. Um, so then Socrates was executed by um, being offered a cup of hemlock. Juiced <laughs> tea. <laughs> Himlock's a plant. It's poisonous, and they f- made him a drink, <laughs> and he drank it, and then passed away. Um, yeah, and that's that's the death of Socrates. So Socrates, as we know, is kind of uh, considered the father of Western philosophy. He's a man who consider- continues to affect how people think about the world. Mm-hmm. He is responsible for ideas such as living an examined life, which I know is still talked about and is still very popular, especially in like self-reflection and everything mm-hmm. because his famous quote, an examined life is an unexamined life is not worth living because you should always be like mm-hmm. continuously examining yourself and self-reflecting and all that stuff. And then he also kind of pioneered this idea that true wisdom is the ability to know that you know nothing mm-hmm. and be willing to like admit that. Yeah. And um, that's why he considered himself wise because in his, in his like, life he was the only one that was willing to say i don't know everyone else always had an answer for him mm-hmm. and he would sit there and say i don't know what what tell me i want to know yeah and people never knew at the end of his intense questionings um, <laughs> he had wound them around so many times yeah but... so that was socrates and i hope that makes that history a little less um uh, it's good lofty to know, it's good to know about his life too yeah because like you said we read the republic we read Phaedrus, we read and all these we works taught, by these like, philosophers, we and we didn't know about their lives. I know. Like, I don't know anything about... I knew a little bit of so- Socrates' lives, but not anything about Plato or Aristotle. Yeah. And, like, these were historical fe- features. And I'm not going to get into Socratic philosophy because, oh my Please god. Don't. I would not do that to myself. I would not do that to Kat. Thank and you. I would not do it to any of our precious listeners. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so, like... I'm nothing against philosophy. It's just my brain doesn't work like that. Um, I couldn't. Pre- I couldn't present it in a podcast format. Oh, absolutely not. I, I love philosophy. Mm-hmm. I love reading it and like learning it and discussing it. But doing that over a podcast is just too much. Yeah, 
Um, and we're a history podcast, not a philosophy podcast. There's yeah. a lot of Which, great. There's some interchangeability podcasts. there. There's yeah, there totally is. But, intersectionality. Yeah, but when, like we just said, like when we were taught about these people, we were talking about their philosophy and not their history. Yeah, we're not here to talk about philosophy. Yeah, we're here to talk about history. Someday we we'll think it was some Machiavellianism or something, but <laughs> oh, no. that's because I Machiavelli, think it's really Nietzsche. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we are here to talk about history, and y'all are here to listen to history, and we hope that y'all have learned something about history today. Yeah, and thank you for listening because follow us on yeah. On, uh, thank on you for Twitter. listening. Follow us on Twitter at t i n a h l podcast, or you can email us at. This is not a history lecture at gmail.com. We would absolutely love to hear from you. We would. Um, send uh, us, tweet at us your ideas. If you follow our Twitter, we have this thing where I attempt to tweet out a picture of our people for the next week on Thursdays. And it's kind of like a guessing game. And thank you to the podcast that actually responded to our tweet. Yeah, we got a, we got a real response. That wasn't just my mom. Yeah, we appreciate that. Um, should we close out with a fact? Sure. I think I've missed a couple weeks there, but... Um, yeah, you have, because every time my mom's like, you don't have a fun fact this week! I'm like, oh. what do you want me to do, Kat? I okay, can't... Amber, Kat, my um, mom. This one's Amber. for you. <laughs> what, would, what would your mom like? What's a weird off-the-wall... I don't know. She likes Hitler. She doesn't like Hitler. What a fun there. Okay. Okay, this one's actually going to be fun. So, the in the early women's suffrage movement, like, the time period when it was still kind of scandalous for women to have, like, bathing clothes, there was this, like, brief trend where women would sit outside on, like, public buildings in their bathing suits and eat, like, pizza and stuff. And just, nice. like... Nice. And there's some suits. And I think we I'm should bring sure it back. I'm not sure what that has to do with history. Or Hitler, but... No, that's my point. It doesn't. <laughs> it's a little more fun than Hitler. I have a yeah, lot of fun they, Hitler they, facts, they, but... I know, no, there's no fun Hitler facts. Except, like, that he got rejected from art school. But, like, <laughs> the fact that you were like, oh, I don't know any fun ones about Hitler. Oh, here's a fun one. No, yeah. Like, <laughs> My, it just made little, it sound like, like you were going to say my like little, Hitler's like, sitting brain. out on a balcony <laughs> with watching the, the suffragette <laughs> If someone wants to Photoshop that onto a shirt, I I would wear it. <laughs> I would wear it. Am I trying to yeah. No, we probably no, shouldn't market ourselves that, no, like that's that. That's true. What, but anyway, well, that was a great fact, Kat. Do we, yeah, okay. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll think of some other fun facts. I'll plan yes. them more next time. Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't got it by now we kind of fly by the seat of our pants but yeah um we're yeah we're flying by the seat of our pants that's a hamilton i'm not copywriting i'm sorry that was not Ooh, you gotta be careful with hamilton that's i feel true. like they have I a very like robust legal team they do that was completely <laughs> lin-manuel miranda and company and we, n- we own, own none of it we own absolutely and nothing i didn't sing it i just referenced it there you go well uh, if you're still listening, God yep. bless. Uh, we are rambling. Um, have a nice day. <laughs> have a nice day. Bye. Bye.